Good morning, everyone, and welcome on this beautiful Sunday. Good morning. Let's turn to number 119, and we'll begin our worship with They'll Know We Are Christians by Our Love. That's what Jesus prayed for in John chapter 17 before he was arrested. Now we will have our call to worship this morning. Good morning. morning. Call to worship this morning is Psalm 104, verses 24 through 30. O Lord, how manifold are thy works, and wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. So is this great and wide sea, wherein are things creeping innumerable, both small and great beasts. There go the ships. There is that Leviathan, whom thou hast made to play therein. These wait all upon thee, that that thou mayest give them their meat in due season." that thou givest them thy gather. Thou openest thine hand, they are filled with good. Thou hidest thy face, they are troubled. Thou takest away their breath, they die 
and return to their dust. Thou sendest forth thy spirit, they are created, and thou renewest the face of the earth. Amen. Amen. God is so awesome. He's the the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer, the sovereign king of all creation, not just people, but all creation. Let's uh, continue to worship him and let this song be our prayer. Number 414, have thine own way, Lord. God, we've gathered here this morning to worship you. It is our our greatest uh, duty and blessing as the final creation that you made in Eden to draw near to you, to bow before you, and to lift you up. Lord, we ask that your spirit would fill this place, fill each heart in this place, Draw us closer to you, and in that, you will be drawing us closer to each other. And we've been speaking of your love and the unity that you desire in your body, in your church. And we pray that that will happen, too, in the singing, in the prayers, in the word, and in the sacrament. So, God, please remove all distractions from us, whatever they may be. 
and help us to just focus fully on you, which is your greatest desire and pleasure and where our pleasure and blessing is as well. Thank you. Amen. And now if you'll take your bulletin inserts, we will pray this prayer of confession in the words that uh, David prayed, I believe after Nathan had confronted him. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Amen. And again, we have the words of the Apostle John as our assurance that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's true. Well, let's uh, continue uh, our songs this morning, which center around uh, God's church and the fellowship we have. Number 138, blessed be the tie that binds.
the reading of God's word for this morning. Scripture reading this morning is from Philippians 2, 1 to 13, and some verses from Luke. If therefore be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God and Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, walk out some own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And this is Luke verses, Luke 6, verses 43 to 45. For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. Amen. Amen. There is a lot there, and it actually uh, all connects. Let us now uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Covenant God, we thank you 
that because of what your son, the Savior, did, that you are in us by grace, through faith, by the Holy Spirit that you sent, and reciprocally, we can be in you, in Christ, because there is no better place to be. We know that there will be many trials of our faithfulness to your love and truth. And in our own strength, we will always fall short. So we implore you that our hearts and minds may always be filled with you, loving you because you first loved us so that we can love even troubled and disturbed people as you love them. And so help us to remember our lives before we fully submitted to you, how easy it was to obsess over whatever did not go our way. And sometimes we still follow too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. So please, as we have gathered here now, in your presence, move in us as we sing, pray, hear your word, and partake of the sacrament of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Please do a good work of grace in us that we may do together the good works you have created for us to do in Christ Jesus. And we pray for our town, state, nation, and world. May we be salt and light, truth and love, and all of this to your glory. And we pray for all who are still under the control of the evil one, and especially world leaders who are in a position to do so much harm. And we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ in the following places where it's dangerous to be alive and even more dangerous to follow Jesus. We pray for those in Nigeria, Haiti, North Korea, China, Russia, Ukraine, Nicaragua, Southeast Asia, the Middle East, and other places. And we pray for our church family and our families. Father, we pray for Allie for continued healing, grace, and strength. And we pray for uh, Christine, that you would fill her with strength and love. Um, and sometimes life is just difficult, especially in certain communities. We pray for her mother for a full recovery in your time. And as humans, we prefer sooner rather than later. Father, we pray for Ken in his body, soul, and spirit. We pray for Peter, Linda, Billy, their mother, and for their large extended family. And Father, we pray for the family of Pat, especially for John. We pray for Ginny. And Father, I want to lift up a special prayer for my sister and what she's going through with her hip deteriorating on her that has effectively immobilized her for 
almost 80 more days. She has to be careful. We also pray for Noelle and Darren. We pray for Al and Carol. We please pray that you would meet every single one of their needs, uh, especially in, in Carol's body. And thank you that she's holding up well. We also pray for Noel, Father, because we know what she is going through. At least some of us do. And, oh, Lord, please help me to explain, interpret, and apply today's uh, Bible stories. Um, Paul's exhortation to a church and Jesus' parable that are really all about Jesus and his church. And as a result of our looking at this together, please make us the church you want us to be. And I, I realize now that this is easier to pray than to do. We need you in order to follow through. And we need you to know and to do your will. And please be in the sacrament in a very powerful way. And now we come to you together, united in the prayer that Jesus gave to his followers, praying together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. And now uh, we will prepare our hearts for digging into God's word with number 469, Trust and Obey, number 469. Share what I told he taught with 
kind of sums up the whole Christian life. The beauty of the gospel is that when people come to faith, Christ is in them as their hope of glory. Furthermore, Paul told the believers in Rome that if Christ is in them, bodies dead to sin, but Spirit is life. That is, their dead spirits have come now alive. Also, people who are in the faith have Christ in them. He wrote to the churches in Corinth. And people of all backgrounds in Christ's church have Christ in them. That's in Colossians. So having Christ in us by faith is the beginning of eternal and abundant life. But the daily adventure and the journey of life of God's people is to grow in Christ. So as to become more like him. And Paul told the churches in Corinth that they were being made holy in Christ. And believers have been created in Christ for good works, which God enables them to do by grace due to the death of Christ for them. In fact, we will come to see this morning how God works in people through Christ who humbled himself in death. Again, it's a lot about the cross. And then um, as a result of receiving Christ's righteousness through faith, Believers may be presented complete in him. And what I've now given you is a survey of the covenant relationship. I gave you four scriptures about what it means to have Christ in us, God in us one way, but also what it means for us to be in God. That's the covenant reciprocal relationship. He is our God and we are his people and and vice versa. So the key phrase this morning in all of our passages is that believers who are in Christ will be enabled to be like him producing good fruit in him. So now let's go to our passages. Uh, 
again, it seems like every week there's like two halves to things, okay? So much of the Philippians passage could be summed up this way. In Christ, Paul commands believers to unity, seeing others in humility. And then he commands that they be as Christ, who laid his divinity, his very God nature, aside in many ways so that he would die on the cross. So let's look at the introduction, which can be summed up on the basis of their encouragement, again, being in Christ. Paul requests believers in Philippi that they have unity in his love, not selfish conceit, but humbly regarding others above themselves. So now let's look at the words of Paul in detail as he wrote them. So he starts out, if any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of spirit, if any inmost feelings and compassions. So he starts out, He starts out and he asks the believers in Philippi for self-examination questions. And this is always a, a good way to pray every once in a while. Examine ourselves to see where we are. In other words, what he's saying is each church needs to answer if the members collectively, not just me as a person, but collectively, are they first encouraged in Christ, second, comforted in God's love, third, having fellowship from God's spirit, and fourth, having feelings of compassion. If they can say, yes, they are united in all of these, then he has a command for them, but this command is followed by blessing. They result in a blessing. In fact, obedience results in a blessing. So Paul continues and he says, you must fill my joy so that the same you all may be thinking. The same love, having same soul, one thinking. Well, let's just sort of sum this up. What's the key idea here? Unity produces joy, and these are two of the main themes of the letter. If they are united in encouragement, love, fellowship, and compassion in Christ, then the apostle who planted this church, their church, he will be full of joy. And now unity flows from Christ. If we're in him, it flows from him to us. All of this unity and the benefit of having united thinking, it will result in one soul and love through being in Christ. Then he continues, nothing through selfishness nor through conceit, but in the humility of mind, Regarding each other, surpassing of themselves. So here we have pride contrasted with humility. Selfish pride goes nowhere. 
No, I, I hope we're finding that out. But the humility of putting the needs of others first is what the apostle is advising. Advising that this church will do. And then completing the introduction, he says, not the things of themselves, each being concerned, but also the things of all others. So we're talking about individuals in relation to the whole local body. People in Christ need to always put others above themselves. Again, easier said than done. Then he wraps up this first part of our scriptures this morning, commanding that they think as Christ, who being God, emptied himself, having taken on servanthood in likeness of men and humbled himself, obedient to death on a cross. Returning back to Paul's words again, and I'm in verse 5. This you all must be thinking in yourselves, which also in Christ Jesus. So Paul commands all the followers of Messiah Savior in Philippi to be thinking as he thought, as Christ thought. Now, he will elaborate on this in the following sentences, starting with this. He in the form of God being, not he considered to be grasped, to be equal to God. This is heavy. Paul is writing under the inspiration of God, and he declares Jesus as being the form of God. Jesus equals God in his very nature. However, Jesus did not consider that he had a grasp at always appearing to men as the all-powerful spirit God. Instead, we're told, he made empty himself. He gave up himself. He voided himself. Form of servant having taken In the likeness of men having become. So there's two things going on here. What the Savior God did is amazing. It's really unthinkable to humans. I I can say the words. I can say I understand the words. But do I really understand what happened? Do we really understand what happened? Being the form of God. He effectively emptied himself of that equality. He made himself void of his true nature to all appearances, taking on a servant's form. As I thought about this, I realized this is a double irony. First of all, the one who created men in his image and likeness, way back in the first chapter, he became the likeness of men. He became the likeness of the creature, but he's the creator. And and, and secondly, the very one whom Zechariah, John's father, said, would enable men to serve God in holiness and righteousness, 
in Luke's introduction, he did this by taking on the form of a servant. This is what we call a paradox. The one who enabled us to serve, which goes against our nature, took on the very nature of a servant. Do we really understand that irony? And then the first half begins, he says, in form. Having been found as a man, he humbled himself. Having become obedient until death, of death of a cross. He humbly, willingly obeyed his father's will. And we must understand this was also his own will. To die in the place of all sinners. So God may forgive and reconcile all people in him, in Christ, by faith in his substitutionary death for them. This is what Paul calls in other places the great mystery, something that had been hidden for millennia and is now fully revealed in Jesus Christ by what he did. Now let's look at the second half of our readings for this morning. We're told that after this, God lifted the Lord to be worshipped in glory. So in fear, the Christians in Philippi may cooperate in God's saving work in them, having hearts made good to produce good. So let's go to the the little addendum in the NIV makes it a new paragraph and it is an amazing thought. So after Christ died, God raised him high that in his name, every knee may bow to God's glory so that in fear and trembling their salvation must be worked because God works in them. All right, let's look at Paul's words. He said, for this reason, Christ humbling himself to death on the cross, God also raised him to the highest and gave to him the name above every name, That in the name of Jesus, again, that means Savior, Yeshua, salvation, every knee might bow of heaven and of earth and of under earth and every tongue might confess. We'll break it off there. So because Jesus died on a cross for men as man, as the perfect man, God exalted him, raised him to the highest And as a result of where he is now, every single creature that has knees will bow those knees at his name in worship of him. And sometimes at the manger scene, we see animals bowing before Jesus when he was born. Why? What are they confessing? What are we confessing? That Lord is Jesus Christ to glory of God, Father, Father God. So all who confess the Savior as Lord of everything bring glory to Father God as he reconciles 
and redeems people through the work of Jesus Christ the Savior. His death for sin and his resurrection to new life is the greatest miracle. I don't care what anybody says. I think that's it. That's how reconciliation happens. That's how we get adopted as God's children. And Paul continues, and he says, So that, my beloved, even as always you all have obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. And I got out a Bible map with a scale of miles. And the shortest way from Philippi to Rome, where Paul was a prisoner in writing this letter, was by both land and sea. And we're talking about 800 miles. Probably about a three-month journey. So he's very, very absent from them. But what is he commanding? He's saying, with fear and trembling, the of yourself salvation you all must be Working. We shouldn't be lazy. We have responsibility. Okay. Paul's commanding the Christians in Philippi to be working on their salvation with a reverent fear and trembling before the awesome God who created everything and sovereignly rules over everything. And if there was a period here, it would be pretty bad for us. But thankfully, there's just a semicolon. So the last words of Paul we consider this morning, he says, because God is working in you all, both to will and to do for the sake of his good pleasure. So believers can fulfill their responsibility to work on salvation because God's will is to work in them so that his will is done and he may have the pleasure of completing his work of salvation in them, in us, in his son. So again, this isn't just for a church 2,000 years ago. Let's apply it to ourselves right now. We must go deeper in Christ to become like him in humility. So we are willing to work sacrificially for the good of others. I think that sums up our whole Philippians passage. You see, God works in people through Christ who humbled himself in death. And we must have the same heart, the same mind, the same attitude, the same thinking. Now let's go to uh, this gospel parable and see how it all ties together. Jesus said, good trees are not making rotten fruit and vice versa. Trees are known by their fruit. People bear good or evil from what is in their heart. So let me uh, go through this word for word. For not being good tree making rotten fruit, neither again rotten tree making good fruit. Now Jesus begins with a very simple and true statement. Good trees do not make rotten fruit. Conversely, rotten trees do not make good fruit. Now he goes on and elaborates because 
Each tree from its own fruit is being made known because not of thorns they are gathering figs, nor of bramble bush grapes are they gathering. Now he's talking about not only trees, but people, as we will soon discover. A tree is known by the fruit that it either does or does not bear. And then Jesus states the obvious. <laughs> Grapes do not come from bramble bushes, but from vines, from grapevines. And figs do not come from thorns. Now, this is my own like weird mind. Okay, you're not going to get a fig out of a thorn. But as my sister and I were growing up, right along the property line in the backyard was just a whole row over 100 feet long of raspberry bushes. And there's thorns on them. But we used to pick the raspberries to our heart's content for whatever that's worth. I don't want to argue with the Lord. So we didn't get figs. All right. Now he continues to the punchline. The good man out of the good treasure of the heart, he is bearing good. So what's this about good hearts? Those receiving God's gracious gift of the Holy Spirit through Jesus have their hearts filled with the good fruit of the Holy Spirit. So we must cooperate by faith with God's gracious work in us to serve him with fear and trembling so his spirit may purify our hearts to bear good fruit. This is why the Holy Spirit is so important and I think what motivated me to write the last Vestry Voices article. The Holy Spirit bears good fruit in the faithful people. Now Jesus continues with the other side of the coin. And the evil man from the evil, he's bearing evil. This is a strong warning to those who do not have God's spirit in them by the faith of Jesus. That they, will, that they are still under the control of the evil one. That's how John finishes his first epistle right before the very, very end. And whatever good they try to do, sadly, will ultimately fail. They won't be able to do it. And then he concludes, but from the abundance of the heart, his mouth is speaking. And when he's talking about the abundance of the heart, we must understand this is true both of evil people without God's spirit bearing evil fruit and people who have been made good by the grace of God in the Holy Spirit who is given by the faith of Jesus Christ. All who cooperate with God's working in them through Messiah Christ will bear good fruit because Christ humbled himself to death on a cross. And when we receive grace to come to Christ in humility, he is in us by the Holy Spirit and we are in him and we continue to grow to be like him. God works in people through Christ who humbled himself 
in death. So let me wrap this all up. All who are in Christ have unity in him, becoming like him in humility. Humility to one another and humility to God. And they will be able to die to themselves, to worship the one who died for them, so they may cooperate in the work that God is doing in them, so that they bear good fruit, good fruit in the spirit by renewed hearts. That's what it's all about. Be filled with the spirit, renewed. God works in people through Christ who humbled himself to death. And I just realized this is an excellent communion sermon and message and reading. So let us prepare our hearts for communion now by singing number 265. Let us break bread together. seated uh, for the sacrament. I believe that uh, everybody is ready for communion, so if you could take uh, your bulletin inserts, and on the back of them, we will do our responsive reading. The table of bread is now to be made ready. It is the table of company with Jesus, and all who love him. It is the day of sharing with the poor of the world, with whom Jesus identifies himself. So come to the table, you who have much faith, and you who would like to have more. You who have been here often, and you who have not been for a long time, and you who have tried to follow Jesus, and you who have 
It is Christ who invites us to meet him here. Loving God, through your goodness, may we know your presence in the sharing, so that we may know your touch and presence in all things. We celebrate the life that Jesus has shared among all his community through the centuries and shares with us now. Made one in Christ and one with each other, we offer these gifts and with them ourselves a single living act of praise. Amen. And now, before we partake of the elements, uh, let us pray to our three-in-one God. Holy Lord God, by what we do here in remembrance of Christ, we celebrate his perfect sacrifice on the cross and his glorious resurrection and ascension. We declare that he is Lord of all, and we prepare for his coming kingdom. We pray through you, Holy Spirit, this bread may be for us the body of Christ and this cup, the blood of Christ. Accept our sacrifice of praise as we eat and drink at his command. Unite us to Christ as one body in him and give us strength to serve you in the world and to you one holy and eternal God father son and Holy Spirit we give praise and glory now and forever amen meaning it is true and let us now partake of the elements I know the world is very very uncomfortable with silence. But I believe that silence is a gift of God. And when we're gathered here and we're silent in his presence Mm -hmm. with the sacrament, that's exactly as it should be. And we just partook of the blood of Christ. And let's sing for our closing hymn, number 334, There is Power in the Blood. Evil of victory win There's wonderful power in the 
close with Paul's introductory prayer for the churches in Colossae. And so, from the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, to lead a life worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light because he's delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That kind of says it all. And for the final chorus, we're going to take a chorus that I kind of adopted as my testimony um, in the early 90s, whenever that was. But it's number 499, I will serve thee.